0: We are live. Uh, Just the two of us today, for now. Uh, Adam has a sick kid, so hopefully the kid will feel better soon. Adam, uh, Rubino's internet has just died last minute. Um, So to all those people that I said I would use you as a backup, I'm sorry that I'm not, given that we've just had it happen within moments of going live, so apologies. (laughs) Craig, you are here. How are you feeling after a tumultuous week? Uh, as an Albion fan
1: yeah it's not been ideal um me personally I'm good um but yeah the 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 results have been less than optimal uh but yeah how about yourself how are you
0: yeah likewise uh still coming off the COVID the COVID route but we're we're getting there slowly but surely uh it wasn't helped yesterday uh thank you Brighton um (laughs) you made it a real sad time Uh, (laughs) um but I think unfortunately one of our biggest talking points today, uh, not just because of what we saw on Wednesday and, and Saturday, but around the league as well, uh, we're unfortunately going to have to revisit our friend VAR um, this week uh, because we, have, we set the bar really low with VAR, it feels like, over the last couple of months and years. Uh, but we seem to have gotten and found a lower route yesterday with the liverpool tottenham game um did you catch any of what was happening there uh i'll i'll kind of explain what happened to the listeners slash viewers uh afterwards and then we can kind of tie it into the myriad of strange decisions in the albion games as well but what what is going on here
1: i don't know i, I think Listeners uh, that that have listened before know our prob- <laughs> our opinion on VAR and and where we stand with it. Um, but this weekend seemed pretty odd even for var itself um and then if you if you tie that in with the lack of var from the chelsea game then you know if you <laughs> we're in this sort of weird space of you know you're damned if you don't use it but damned if you do um and for me it just comes down to the officiating itself and not the technology but um but yeah uh some context on the liverpool stuff because that's that's like a next level right that's that's an immediate apology and A complete mess around that just is incomprehensible, even to even to the slowest walker.
0: Yeah. So to to talk about it just a little bit because it was just it's so outrageous. I know this is a Brighton podcast, but funnily, ironically enough, we've been on the end of decisions this mental against Spurs of all teams last year. Yeah. yeah. Um, But so this is what happened with the Louis Diaz goal, uh, which Liverpool had disallowed. I should probably have that in captions as well uh, versus Tottenham. So obviously there's going to be a lot more come out on this as the days go by. But in simple terms, the VAR took the wrong on-field decision and it led to the goal being disallowed. So Darren England on VAR, who has now since come out, by the way, and has came out that he refereed a game in the Middle East in midweek uh, without any exemption, which is even dodgy, like so much dodgy levels to everything. Uh, I think he refed a Saudi league game um, who obviously own Newcastle United. So there's no controversy there or conflict of interest, but uh, Darren England checked offside thinking the on-field decision was a goal. So I don't know what they're watching up there, but he assumed that the on-field decision was a goal. It was a quick offside check because it was clear Diaz was onside. So he told the referee, check complete. In telling the ref check complete, he's saying the on-field decision was correct. Well, the on-field decision was that it was offside. So the human error by the VAR team is getting the on-field decision wrong. It's not that they failed to draw lines. They were drawn. Diaz was onside. And he said, just check complete. And he got it wrong as to what they were doing on the field. Like, it's, it's such an unbelievable error like, misunderstanding what was said and done on the field at the top. Like, what? I just, like, do they not? I'm sure they have two, at least two people in the booth, don't they? Like, how How are we coming to these decisions over and over and over again? Like, it is, I, I, I can't believe that we're leading off a Brighton podcast with two games to cover, and I'm starting with Liverpool-Tottenham because it was that diabolical that, like, we just have to talk about it.
1: Just, yeah egregious uh, basic communication right and you're talking it, it doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever and the more the more I think about it the more just stupid it becomes and um, in just just saying check complete or what did you actually rule it like it but even then it's like oh we got that wrong we need to go back right surely it's a case of oh i thought you meant this so we should probably change that instead he's just kept his mouth shut and gone oh we got that wrong never mind um let's let's see if let's see if no one picks up on that it is baffling to me that you can have that sort of level of a communication error between officials that have clearly worked together for a long time because they've got each other's backs. We know that. Um, But then also just not go back and go, Oh, I thought you meant it wasn't, uh, or I thought you meant it was a goal. So that's why I said check complete. Let's just go back and change that quick because that's obviously going to hit us. Um, It's just weird. I I don't understand either the process involved or even the reaction Um, and justifiably so. A Brighton podcast leading off with Liverpool, Tottenham, as you said, but everyone needs to be talking about this and and just saying how bad it is because this is next level bad. We've we've had our communications, and we, no, we've had our rants and we've had our opinions on it, um, but this takes the cake.
0: Yeah, I mean, it. I was talking to a friend earlier and I feel like this this makes the Mount Rushmore of VAR decisions and like a bad VAR decisions. One of them, of course, being the Brentford Arsenal game and the other one, like inevitably being the Palace Brighton game, right? Like they've, mm. for now, like they are your three etched in stone, like <clears throat> egregious to the points of like just insanity levels of errors. Um, and to tie it back into the Albion, let's talk a little bit about Wednesday night. It it was a game that suffered greatly from a lack of VAR, which is even more ironic, it's, isn't it? It's, because it's
1: so strange, it's so weird. <laughs> yeah, here we are, like, begrudging the whole concept and protocol of it. And as a result, like, from Wednesday's game, you know, we're, we're talking about a potential second yellow card, we're talking about all of these sort of different bits, and it's like, oh, if only we had VAR, but then it's a double-edged sword because they were. But well, they'd still get it wrong anyway, even if we did have it. So, it yeah, it's it's odd, but we. There was a couple of points in that match where VAR could have got involved, and and obviously it isn't available during the cup,
0: which is mental. Really, I don't. I, I understand oh. that it's for uh, like obviously lower league teams are playing in this competition, but as far as I'm aware, they also wrongly in my opinion have it be the case in the FA Cup where if you have a VAR capable stadium it runs and if it doesn't it doesn't i'm not sure why when we're sat at stamford bridge in a carabao cup game and we're not utilizing var
1: yeah, at all and for the, the record
0: up. like like for the record like they should have had a goal too that goal wasn't offside mm-hmm. like yep. so i'm not saying it to benefit just us solely Like, obviously before that, they're probably, well, they are down to 10 men if VAR is used correctly and they don't score that goal in the first place. But, like, that's two decisions there that have totally changed the game, really, like, and both of them, I think, just exposed how bad the referees are without VAR, which is terrifying. Um, And Steven in the chat saying there's nothing wrong with VAR brought in to stop human error. Sadly, VAR is being used by humans, uh, which is ironic. And, like, you're right. And the thing is, is like they're all that that it's ran by the same people. Like, what are we doing here? Like, why why have we not looked into this? Like, everybody's saying it. Like, why are we not looking into the idea of other people coming in totally unrelated to this system and running their own VAR setup? Or like, you really do bring in ex-pros. And, like, obviously you don't have Gary Neville for, like, the AR and Man United <laughs> game, but, like, you know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, why not at this point? Like, if we're mocking the thing that much in case, like, I can't, why not yeah, can't it even it. crazier?
1: Yeah, I, and just a, a polite reminder that there was an opportunity to use the semi-automatic stuff that we saw in the World Cup and and, and other international tournaments, but it was ultimately <laughs> voted against using it. Um, so, That, as just the the cherry on the cake for you as well, is that this could have been better. Uh, It was just vetoed by the people now running VAR.
0: Yeah. Um, Let's talk uh, Chelsea Brighton. um, Because we 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 are... It feels like we are... It's not often under Deserby that we've had to talk about two losses in a row. Um, It feels much more like a Graham Potter-type conversation to have. And ironically enough... Uh, it was like watching a Graham Potter side um, against Chelsea. It felt like at times Um, a team that looked like they should have scored two or three um, and scored none because they decided they simply weren't going to get anything on target that night. Um, It was just crazy to me watching that team um, and the opportunities that Robert Sanchez of all people presented uh, and us failing to take any kind of advantage from.
1: Yeah. 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 It's just a case of finishing, right? And like you said, it it, it is a very Potter esque type deal that we're talking about here, where you know, you can't hit a barn door really, um, especially with the, the Jal Pedro chance. And um, I think it was Fatty as well. Uh, yeah, it's just two what is it, two shots on target from 13. Um, it, it's that's not good enough. And um, you know, uh, Sanchez made a, a couple of saves, sure, but ultimately, there's there's a, a few goals that should have been had there. I think we were talking about it at halftime where, you know, you take one of those two chances in that first half um, and you kind of cruise after that because Stafford Bridge gets on the Chelsea back because they're not doing too well and you kind of just ride that home. Um, but we made it difficult.
0: Yeah, we really did. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the players uh, that played on Wednesday night. Um because there's some of them that, that have been obviously part of the rotation. That's definitely something we'll talk about here shortly. Uh, but let's talk about some of the some of the less good ones. Uh, um, still only 18, uh, was in the midst of taking himself out on loan before Nciso got hurt. Uh, obviously, that just put a stopper on everything until Fatih came in last minute. And then I think there was obviously that case of trying to find in the right club had just stopped already and it just everything went wrong for him basically in terms of try, trying to to get him uh, to a place where he could succeed uh, like some of our other loanies, Uh and he is still here and he got his first start against Chelsea. Um, this is a player that just looks like he's desperate for a proper loan move, isn't he? It's I've heard someone, I'm not sure whether it was in a group chat, I mean, or Twitter or someone said that might've even been one of you guys. Uh, we should have sent him out on loan and kept Sarmiento. What are your thoughts on on that and Bonanotte in general.
1: I think I think you're right to an extent. It, it sounds like the plan was always f- for there to be a loan, right? So I think we were all agreed that a loan where he could cut his teeth would be perfect. Um, it's just unfortunate that that injury happened and someone had to go. Sarmiento was already gone. Do you know what I mean? So like that sort of, you know stuck between a rock and a hard place there is to we need cover but we can't send you uh but we know you need this but we can't give it to you so and it is a really weird halfway house um i don't i mean it's harsh because he's he's 18 years old right we're very lucky with the 18 and 19 year olds that we have in this squad with with ferguson and nc so that should not be the bar for, for our teenagers coming <laughs> yeah. through. So so it, it's very easy to compare him to the incisos and the and the Fergusons of the world. Um, but you just have to remember those are elite and, and Buenonte needs time and, and he maybe need an extra year. Very similar and I think this is mentioned a lot of times similar to Alexis McAllister where you need a year of maybe a year and a half really to bed in, adapt. You know, this is a an 18-year-old human being moving from Argentina to, to the south coast of England. Like it, it is going to take time. So it, it's one of those things alone would have been perfect. Uh, at the moment he's, he's cover for us. I was surprised to see him start because I think the general consensus is, is that he's not as good as Solly March. He's not as good as the other options we have. Um, and that was quite evident at Chelsea, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it was um, like, uh, like I think I, you're totally right. The Alexis and Callison comparison is a good one. Um, like he was Basically anonymous for six months when he was playing for us, uh, and then all of a sudden started to gain his way into the team, bulk up a little bit. I mean, we all saw those like hilarious interviews of I him, mean, basically like just saying how much he hated being here during the pandemic and every, all the stress yeah. and stuff that come with it. Um, who was the other one who said they wanted to die?
1: Who was it? It was Ronaldarte that said that.
0: Ronaldarte. Yeah. So we obviously yeah. know he's having an absolute rough time of it, um, but uh, yeah, he he's a player that I think we're. You know, obviously, if someone gets hurt, we're going to see a lot more of. Um, but for now, it's something that we're just going to have to keep an eye on. Uh, we're adding Rabinho to the chat. He's here. Uh, he's alive. Just about. Is his Internet? We're about to find out. Robin, yeah. first question for you. Uh, one, how are you? Two, Mo Dahoud. Good, bad, somewhere in the middle. Where do you stand on, on Mo?
2: Firstly, Internet is all right, I think. Had a little bit of a wobble, a defensive wobble, but we're all right. Um, Dehoud, somewhere in the middle at the moment. I think it's far too early to write him off. I've seen a little bit of that on social media, but that's par for the course. Um, But on the flip side, I've also not seen a huge amount to enthuse me. Odd silky touches and passes here and there, but I think he's a fair way away from being a unquestionably, unquestionably easy for me to say. A Premier League starter. That's where I am on him. Somewhat on the face probably.
1: Then great. <laughs> <Craig? laughs> I, I do like him. I do. It's, he's sort of, but he doesn't fit this one bucket of a, a central mid that you need. You, you've got your your combative believers and Caicedo's that brings that sort of energy and dynamism, but then you've also got the the box to box midfielders that provide a goal threat and he's not really that either yet. So it's, where are you? Um, And I I think he's, he's a very good player, obviously. And he links play up really nicely um, as a central midfielder that sort of dictates the tempo, but he doesn't have that physical element to him, nor does he really have that goal threat at the moment. So um, you kind of have to bring one of those to the table um, in order to succeed in the way that we play and and maybe the way that we do things. Um, At the moment, nice silky um i probably a little bit harsh but he feels like a little bit of a luxury player to me too um where you, know, you, you have your fundamental sentiment next to him and a gross gilmore kaisado belieber whatever um he's a compliment to the to the dynamic sentiment that we need and and deserve to be said that we need right so the jury's still out i can't be too harsh i think he's a good player and i think he'll get better with time
0: yeah, it's a position that De Zerbi has said is the hardest for any player to learn in his process, right? And it's probably not going to be helped by rotating constantly. Um, 39 changes in five games now per Andy Naila. Um That's a lot. Uh, there is not really any team out there um, other than Manchester City that can rotate in such a way and continue to get results. Um, and we are starting to see that come through for the Albion, right? Like win, loss, win, loss, loss, win, or whatever it is, like win, loss, loss, whatever. Three wins from our last six. Uh, <laughs> and we're starting to see those defensive cracks especially come in. Um, not so much against Chelsea, uh, but I think that's more because Chelsea are a dire football team, um, more so than than the Albion being rock solid at the back on Wednesday night. Uh, as we saw on Saturday with probably a better back four, uh, we were ripped apart. Um, by Villa the amount of changes we're making Deserbi has said that they've been very clear from before this season even began that this was going to be his hardest year as a manager ever to learn and understand how to manage a squad in Europe and in Cups and to be competitive in all competitions essentially Uh, and to continue to be a good team in the league right which as we've seen throughout decades now of football, teams that qualify for Europe for their first or second time tend to struggle massively to continue to be a force in the league, or they're shocking in Europe and continue to do it. okay. There's no, there's no in between. They seem to all really struggle, um, and we are starting to see those struggles really come to the fore uh, for Roberto and the side. Now, my take on this is. We should be, I think our biggest issue is obviously defensively. I'm not shocking anybody after a 6-1 defeat. Um, I think we've conceded 16 goals in September, not sustainable. Um, but the fact of the matter is we need to, if we're going to tinker, we need to tinker with that front five, not that back five, uh, or rather front six, not our back five. Do you have, do you feel the same way? Do you both feel the same way And and... You know, what are your thoughts on, on what we're starting to run into? And then secondly, if if we're all in agreement that we need to be more consistent at the back, at least, what is our best back five, in your opinion? And we'll start with you, Robin, because you've just
2: popped in. Big um, question. <laughs> yeah, firstly, I am in agreement. I think back five is needs to be a lot more um, consistent. I know, obviously, we've had the odd injury. With Dunk and obviously Esteban being knackered coming back from international duty, so it's slightly been enforced. But I think the overarching point about making so many um, so many sort of adjustments game to game is that previous partnerships that were really solid naturally will start to get weaker because they're not being played together as much. So you've got that. You've then got the fact that some partnerships are then going to be totally new whether that's in defence or central midfield or wherever else. And then you've got other partnerships not having enough time to develop because you're having to rotate. And I think those three issues impact the whole team, but they are seen much more acutely in defence. Because it's almost the same as a goalkeeper. Right, If a goalkeeper makes an error in a game, it's it's a goal. Similarly, if you've got a defensive unit that is all over the place, more than likely that's going to have a more negative impact than the same situation further up the pitch. So I think it's more important that we have a settled back five. As to what the settled back five is, is a very difficult question. I'm going to have a stab at it. Um, I think Deserby needs to hand his, hang his hat on for Brigham, being number one. And my first choice back four is... Ugh, it's really difficult. I mean... I think a lot of people would probably agree that Estepinion, Dunk and Veltman are probably three of our best back four. The other central defensive slot is up for grabs. Um, I'm still too annoyed with Webster to be able to, <laughs> to be able to think about putting him in there. Um, I don't know. It's it's a, it's a straight shootout between Van Hecker and Igor at the moment. Um, I know we've seen a little bit more of Van Hecker than we have of Igor. Slightly unhelpfully, I'm going to say that probably Van Hecker is a better out-and-out defender. From what we've seen, Igor's probably more comfortable on the ball. But you've already got that with Dunk. So it's probably Van Hecker for me as the fourth. Just because you've got Dunk who can be the... The slightly more comfortable on the ball and then you've got Van Hecker to fall back on. So Esther Dunk, Van Hecker, Veltman, and Verbruggen would be my first choice back five.
1: Yeah, I, I mean that's pretty pretty close to what I would think. I think the times that we've seen Igor play, he's actually been quite good. Um, it's just it's been unfortunate around <laughs> with everyone around him in sort of this defensive frailties that we have, and, and this constant rotation um, that maybe paints him in a slightly worse light than than he should. Um, I'd be interested to see him upside, uh, well, alongside Dunk, sorry, and just see how that goes. Uh, it'll be very interesting. Uh, but Veltman definitely a right back, opinion, definitely a left back. Um, he hasn't been great the last couple of weeks, but we don't really have another left back. So that it, it's kind of just, you know, that's it. That's it. Um, and I do agree about the right? If, if that is deserved choice of goalkeeper to bring in, then, uh, you should go for it, right? At 20, 21 years old. If he's your goalkeeper for the future and, and going onwards, then, then great. Give still some time in the cup, give still some European time as well. Uh, you know, that's where I see it. Um, with the the chat as well. Velman at centre back is also viable. Um I just I don't think I think Lamptey still fits the system. I know we we just talked about how good he was at left back and how he deputized, but as a as a regular starter, week in, week out, I'm too worried about his injuries and him running himself into the ground. Um so it, it it's definitely Velman over Lamptey for me. Um I think we've got Better options at centre back than putting Valtman there too. I think his best position is right back. Agreed for for us. For for another team, it might be different, but for us, he's he's much more presentable at right back. Agreed.
0: Thoughts on Igor into a defensive midfield role with Gilmore. What would you have felt? Well, how would you have felt if you'd have seen Igor line up next to Billy Gilmore yesterday?
2: Um, probably slightly happier than I was to see Hinchward. <laughs> to be brutally honest. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's not a slight on it. It's more just that, yeah. I mean, it, it's the kind of John Stone scenario, isn't it, that's happened for City over the last year, 18 months or so. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a bit of a left-field shout, but he's comfortable on the ball. Um, he obviously has very good vision. We've seen some of his passes. What, the passes that he's attempted have been good. Perhaps he would feel a bit more comfortable knowing that he's not the last man. He's got a bit of backup behind him. It's not a horrendous shout. Um, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be totally against trying it. Annoyingly, probably Wednesday night would have been the <laughs> probably would have been the game to to try it But obviously we we got to see Baleba um instead. Yeah, I mean it, it's not horrendous because you know there is there is clearly a lack of someone that can do that defensive midfield job. Um and, you know, Hincher would look very neat and tidy. Um, he didn't do a huge amount wrong, um, other than a really annoying daft foul in their penalty box in the second half that was just a bit needless. But he certainly didn't stand out as being horrendous. But at the same time, do I think that those two, that that you ever want to see Gilmore and Hinchel would side by side in a Premier League game? Not for a long time, I don't think, to be t- Quite honest. So that's a long way of saying, yeah, I would I wouldn't mind Eagle being tried in that position, but I'd much prefer Beleba <laughs> as fast tracked in, because I think he looks great from what we've seen. He obviously just needs to get up to speed a little bit.
0: Yeah, that was going to be my next piece as well, was just talking a little bit about the debut of Carlos Beleba, uh, because I share the sentiment that I thought he looked excellent. Um he obviously Deserbi has said he isn't there yet. Um and it's difficult for him to continue to, you know, they're having to change things around because they've lost Caicedo and Balaba isn't quite there yet as the player that they need him to be, which is fine. Uh, you know, we can't expect him to slot in that quickly. Um, but he was very good on on Wednesday night. Defensively, you know, he was up there with your
2: with yeah, your He was excellent. Um, he was excellent. And he was napping. I don't know if I was at the game. I don't know if it came up sort of on TV when he was taken off, but he was absolutely shattered by that point. <laughs> I mean, like, that's
0: his first thats his first full 70 minutes
2: in for a long time, right? Yeah, we yeah. were saying, I think he, did he come on? I think he came on as a, he either played or came on as a sub for Lille, I think in one of their, in their first league game of the season. Yeah. But Other than that, so you're talking, you're, that's still basically two months, near enough two months. So I'm not surprised that he was, absolutely shattered but yeah it was noticeable that the last the last kind of five minutes before he came off he was looking very very leggy but there was a little bit I noticed a little bit of that Caicedo kind of trait of it's not the same telescopic legs that caicedo has got but he did have that ability to if someone got past him you can tell that he's going to have the ability to track back and probably more often than not um, you know, win a win a decent tackle, and we saw that in the Bournemouth game, didn't we? Very briefly with a tackle that was pretty crunching. Um, a side point: he's he's lucky not to have been unbelievably hurt by that tackle from uh, from the Chelsea player on Wednesday night, which I don't know has contributed to him looking slightly slightly worse for wear in the second half. But yeah, I mean, I've seen enough of him that I think he's going to be once he get up to, once he gets up to speed. You'd like to think him and Gilmore will be the, will be the kind of shoe in partnership. Yes, another another eighteen-year-old, right? Like Hazard I
0: is what twenty-two now. He's got four years to get to that level. Like it's kind of scary how how comfortable he looked in the middle of a park against Chelsea, who are not, you know, on paper have a very good midfield. Um, but I think. You know, I think you covered it already, Robin, like Gilmore and Hinchelwood, Stephen, in the chat saying that they just seem weak physically, uh, which is probably why we're talking about putting Belabor in there instead, uh, who most certainly did not look weak. Um, James, as well, in the chat, uh, he would have to say that sixth in the league, three points off top spot and with the Europa still to play for is well worth the occasional battering. Good, oh, yeah, I said that. I think I think we're going to see a few of them, um, so I'm glad you feel that way, uh, because I think <laughs> with the rotations being enforced against us, we might see a couple of horrible results. Uh, it was
2: really bizarre. Like I woke months. up this morning, and I felt like I wasn't really even that pissed off about yesterday, which is really bizarre, because normally when you lose 6-1, like I, I think the last time we shipped six goals was West Ham away in their last season at Upton Park. Well, not mainly they're in the championship and that was dreadful like that was a game I nearly walked out after 15 minutes because we were like 3-0 down after 12 minutes or something and that was woeful um but yeah yesterday it's exactly the point in the chat and I said it on you know I said on WhatsApp to you this morning which is like would I the fact that we are all scrabbling to try and get tickets to go and watch the Albion play Ajax away repeat that Ajax away in Europe um I'm absolutely taking the odd battering for that, to, you know, for that to have come true. Like, let's be honest, if you are offered that even 12 months ago, it's a ludicrous scenario 12 months ago. And right, it might not ever happen again. You know, this might be, this might be the European shot for us. Um, so, yeah, as a trade-off to be where we are, I mean, you've still won five of seven, right, in the Premier League, despite all of the rotation, all of the the getting used to playing Thursday Sunday or Wednesday Sunday or Wednesday Saturday whatever it is, despite all of those changes, we've still won five out of seven. Um, so yeah, absolutely, the odd battering is gonna, you know, is going to happen. And, you know, if you look across all of Deserbi's games, they average, you know, averages four goals a game across his, you know, thirty odd, you know, thirty nine games in charge, whatever it is. It's going to happen, and you know, the sooner you get zen about it the better, because, you know, we are going to batter teams as well. It's, it's going to happen probably more often than we get battered ourselves. We're going to dish out the same sort of result to somebody else. I so mean, yeah, we've, we've
0: scored 19. We've scored 19 goals this season. That's more than anyone else in the Premier League. And we've conceded. Uh, no, sorry. We've scored 19 uh, and we've conceded 14 um, which is only better than Burnley, Bournemouth and Sheffield United, the bottom three. So you can't say you're not going to have some fun. You're going to see goals when you come and watch bright.: We knew this um, before.
2: Like, as soon as Deservey was moved <laughs> to be the manager, everyone was like, well, you're, there's going to be loads of goals. Um, yeah, you know, one way or another. So it is. So, yeah, I'm, I'll take it.
0: I'll take it all day long. So next question, and this is brought up by Arctic Temper and Craig. I'd love to hear your thought on this because this was going to be something that I brought up anyway. Um, and we will get to some of the goals that we conceded uh, and what we thought about AR's decisions on goals two and three, which arguably, you know, dictate the way the game looks at halftime. Um, Gilmore Hingel would need a 10 to help them out per Arctic Temper. it uh, was playing two strikers, which compounded the issue, in my opinion. Um, I 100% agree with him. Um, I think this we've we've hung our hat on the never want to see Ferguson Welbeck aisle, and I think we're actually probably more on the case if we don't want to see two strikers start. Four four two is not a formation that suits this Deserbi style, and I think it was compounded by the substitution for Gel Pedro at halftime, who for me, uh, for me personally Uh, because I know I ask your opinions a lot and then, like, don't even give my own. So I think Pedro needs to be one of the first names on the team sheet. He is connecting that front line to the midfield better than any player I've seen. He makes everything happen. He was the guy against Athens. Like, he was unreal. He was excellent from the minute he came on yesterday. His defensive work against Chelsea was second to none. Like, he was up there near the top with tackles completed, interceptions. Like, he is doing everything everything for this team he is doing exactly what he Watford fans said he was doing at the at championship level and he's doing it comfortably against some of the best teams in the Premier League and to me like you I think he's gonna be he should be one of the first names on the team sheet just as much as anybody else at this point Craig what are you, what are your thoughts on on deciding to go with two strikers that aren't dropping back as much and do, do you feel the same way do you and thoughts on pedro in general really would be good
1: yeah yeah no i i agree with both of you completely uh, the the two the two strikers doesn't work um i i don't sometimes there's method to the madness right of the zerbi and and you can kind of see it and you go right that kind of didn't work but i understand what you're trying to do there um the the two striker thing with them both dropping deep i completely get that um but against like that sort of press and we'll we'll give credit to villa in in due course but like it 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 just doesn't work for me especially with the two wide players and, and the two dropping in like i get the the concept it just isn't working or isn't clicking with the personnel that you have um so with that, I completely agree. Jao Pedro needs to be one of the first on the team. She has to play in that 10 role. I don't want to see him as that, that striker or in that sort of Ferguson role. I want to see him as part of that three. Um, and, and similar to what, you know, the, the chat is saying with James is having someone that is a little, a little bit more physical. You have to remember Jao Pedro is what, like six, one, he can put himself about a little bit, um, you know, in a, in a defense or a, a central midfield that, Might need some physicality there or a little bit of nastiness, shall we say? Uh, If you're not going to have Belibra, there needs to be Jal Pedro there. There needs to be someone to be doing that work. So, uh, and it's not a knock on Gilmore and Hinshelwood. I don't want to be crystal clear on that. I thought they were okay. They just, there was overrun by uh, an Aston Villa midfield three that is honestly very good it pains me to say but you know that it it's a very physical three of the midfield and we decided to put two up against the three and we got completely overran um that's not the fault of Gilmore and Hinshelwood I just think we got it wrong tactically um so yeah Pedro needs to be in there um he (laughs) needs to be on for penalties too for me so i know i, I sat on here last week and said I, he needs a couple more and um, you can't take the penalties if you're not on the pitch either so uh, i do want to see him in that 10 role and i do want to see him step up he has that knack for winning free kicks and penalties that we're kind of missing without him too uh so he brings a lot to the table that we're sort of missing out on when we rotate uh i know he's 21 but he's he's got it uh, and he needs to be on so uh, a, a midfield three of Belieber, Gilmore and Pedro just makes me very happy to even think about. Uh, and um, we, we need that to sort of manifest sooner rather than later. Um, but we'll see. If, if Belieber's not ready, then Pedro needs to be on at the minimum for that physicality aspect.
0: Yeah, just to just to link them up would be nice. Uh, I mean, yeah. Fatih and Pedro had almost double the amount of touches between them than Ferguson and did in the first half. Uh, they both got given 45 minutes, right? One of them, they they were almost twice as involved and got a goal and an assist from, from their efforts. Um, let's talk about the the first couple of goals um, because between 0 minutes and 14, Albion looked the much better side for the most part. Uh, dominated the ball, we're creating a couple of nice-looking chances. Uh, not going to talk about XG uh, because we lost 6-1. Um, and Aston Villa's XG was 1.6. ours was 1.7. So, uh, if you ever need to wonder how accurate XG is, sometimes compared to the eye tests, we love talking about this every now and again. Yesterday was absolute bollocks, right? XG is just a joke. Like it makes no no sense in yesterday's game. We all watched it. I was in the stands. Other people were able to watch it from all around the world in every angle possible. We were outclassed finishing ability wise by far. 1.7 to 1.6 is not in any way an accurate representation of what was happened yesterday. Um, inevitably we're caught on the break. Uh, Ollie Watkins puts them 1-0 up. Okay, fine. Uh, and then what proceeded to be the next 10 minutes of just diabolical football unfolded before us. Um, goals two and three. Uh, I'll just take your opinion on both at the same time. Um, and, you know, Robin, will start with you and Craig. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it too. Um, prior to you hopping on Robin we actually kicked off the show talking about Liverpool Spurs um because of the level of diabolical VAR decisions that went on yesterday to like just astounding levels um what were your thoughts on those two goals was should should we have called the the, the goal back for the foul on Solly March at, at what point is too far uh and then was it offside was he impeding Steele's vision should that have been an offside should what 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 are your thoughts?
2: You shouldn't even need to call it back. It's just a foul, right? The referee <laughs> the referee just needs to give that as a foul in the moment because he's just battered him. It's just a foul. Um, and yeah, I think he's... I mean, we're obviously looking at it with, with blue and white specs on, but for incidents like that, I try really hard to be objective about it. And they did show an angle um, on the BT or TNT coverage, whatever it's called these days, that pretty clearly showed that if you're Jason Steele, that is it's in it's basically in your eye line. whether it's directly standing in front of him doesn't really matter. It's enough in his eye line that it makes a difference. If you are interfering with play, it should be offside, right
1: i'd I'd fully expect that to go against us. And I think when when you're talking about being objective and bits and pieces, what I try and do is just twist it the other way. And if if we had scored that goal, would it have been disallowed against us? And um, it's, it's probably a yes, right? Uh, you know, like you said, Robin, you're you are interfering with play to an extent. You know, whether it's directly or indirectly. And again, there's this gray gray area with a automated technology system and subpar refereeing. Um, but you know, are you are you influencing the game in any way by being there? Uh, And the answer to that question is yes. It's just, you know, what is the level of interference there? Uh, So I would fully expect it to go against us. Therefore, I would expect it to be given for us. Um, It's a shame. The Soli March 1 is a foul, right? Yeah, no need to call it back. Just call it there. Um, Subpar refereeing and officiating as as normal. Um, The passage of play led to the goal. Again, I would expect us that to be given against us. Therefore, I would expect it for us if it happened to us. Um, but two two VAR incidents that didn't go our way. And I want to preface it by: we would have lost this game anyway, right? If if them if those two did get called for us and they were correct and and we were happy with those two decisions, we still would have lost this damn game. So I, I'm I'm not saying that that would have influenced anything in the grand scheme of things, but. The game would have maybe shaped out slightly differently. And we made a little bit more hope, but you know,
2: it, doesn't
1: it's help. It, does it? <laughs> it's it's VAR, right? I mean, it's Stuart Atwell again, powerful. isn't it?
2: I feel like Stuart Atwell has done us over a few times
1: from VAR. Who
0: was, who was the ref for the Spurs game? Do we know? Uh, That's oh. always the like the gold standard, right? Of like who who was the referee for the for the Andron VAR. For the Tottenham away game, because
2: that's I'm just, Oh, yeah. The I think worst. Atwell was on... Uh, let me look it up, actually. I've got cool. a feeling it might have been Atwell on VAR for that. Someone will probably correct me, but I'm going to look now. So, obviously, we're going at half-time,
0: 3-0 down, uh, and substitutions were made. Pedro, Fatty and Lamptey on for Welbeck, Ferguson and Estepinian. Um Estepinion is not having the best of times, is he, currently, uh if there's ever a need for a left back, it is currently right now to give the guy a rest, it feels like. Um Craig, do you are you starting a subinion in Marseille? Or are you wait, like, what do you what are you and if you're not, like are you playing Lamptey there? Like what what are your thoughts on on, I
1: I on your opinion? I think you're playing him, right? Because you don't really have a choice. and I, I think we, we spoke about this when The transfer window was open. Is that we needed some form of fallback coverage, um, not just to avoid complacency but also just to give people a rest. Uh, you know, you're, you're trying to chop and change three times a week, you're playing three games a week, uh, you're making six changes here, nine changes here, but the one consistent is that left back role because we haven't got anyone else to play it. Um, you know, you, you can look to the Lampty game and uh, against United and you say, Yeah, he did really well. That's not his natural position, and you can't expect. Lamptey to play there with the consistency that we saw uh, of United um I don't think you play him against Marseille I think you bring Lamptey in the game after I mean you, you got Liverpool you could this is a really torrid run so it doesn't really matter but the 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 fact remains is that we did not get left back coverage and we are going to struggle from it. um do I play an opinion um yes it does it doesn't matter which game because we haven't really got anyone else
0: thought robin was about to give us the referee verdict there uh he teased me uh, <laughs> yeah as you say it's not nice is it going forward marseille away liverpool at home city away ajax at home as our next four uh has gone on record with his classic uh you will see a different brighton on thursday uh you probably really freaking hope so robin don't you after the trip
2: you're making yeah, I do actually. I'll be slightly irritated <laughs> if we get battered, uh, having gone all the way to Marseille. Um, if I make it into the ground in one piece, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, the, the referee for the Spurs game was Stuart Atwell. Say no more, fam. Say no and more. the VAR <laughs> was Michael Salisbury, and it was obviously that was a it was one of our many Howard Webb apologies. Um, so yeah, Stuart Atwell just seems to just not be very good at his job (laughs) to be be quite frank about it Um, in terms of Thursday night um, yeah I think Estepinian's got to start I think Ansu Fati's probably got to start I think you've got to lump in some European experience I know he's only 20 but you know as we said in the last pod he's got arguably um, you know the most amount of recent European experience for us Um, and you want Jao Pedro to play you hope that I'd like to see Belieber play to be honest he'll have had eight days off by then I'd certainly like to see him start and if you can get an hour out of him or 70 minutes again out of him that would be ideal Um, but yeah I think Estepinian's got to start I think to be honest they probably go with um, hopefully they go with Verbruggen and hopefully they go with Van Hecker I'd go with Veltman again, I'd go with opinion Not massively wholesale changes, I think you're really looking at what, four probably, so for Brigham for Steele, um, Van Hecker for Webster, Belieber for Hinchelwood, and Jal Pedro for Welbeck, and potentially, I don't know where shoehorn Ansu Fatty, and I guess maybe ahead of March, but so probably not, maybe not Ansu Fati. so maybe four changes, but yeah, I hope we do. I hope we do. Um, I hope we do put on a better display. I mean, they are they are also leaking goals as well. Um, I think they lost three two last night in the end, but it was two two after about twenty minutes. Um, and I think the player they got from Sheffield United over the summer, Ndai, um, he scored one, assisted one, and then went off injured. So that would be very handy um, if he's not fit for for next Thursday. I'm also almost looking forward more to the prospect of Deserby against Gattuso in the dugout because that, given the, given the rest of the atmosphere around the whole game, that has the potential to be um, box office in itself. Um, but yeah, I think we do, we will see something different. Um, well, at least we hope we see something different. Well, per
0: De we will. Um, and he doesn't often get that wrong when he makes those kind of bold statements. We ruined Arsenal's entire Premier League dream last time he said that. So we'll see how that goes for him. Um, obviously, Fatty gets his first goal uh, for the Albion. Good stuff. Not sure why VAR looked at that one for as long as they did. Um, and we watched, uh, once again, um, Esri concert got booked on 57 Minutes. Uh, and 10 minutes later, just before the goal, should have been down to 10 men. um Again, we're having to have a conversation around VAR because obviously it's a yellow card offense, right? Like we see those every day. Both players are given a yellow, everyone goes on with their lives. However, this would cause it to then be a sending off for one of those players. And we were already seeing the thing that they didn't want to upset the apple cart and cause any drama or anything like that. So they didn't want to do that. Um, Again, what are, what are, what are we doing here? To me, that's like a clear second yellow for concert. And don't get me wrong, like whoever's involved on the Albion side should be given a yellow as well. But this this level of inconsistency in, inconsistency in my words out is just
1: outrageous, isn't it? Like it's just mental. Yeah, the ref the ref's absolutely bottled it, isn't he? Like it, in being able to dish out the deserved punishment. And like I said, if this was the other way around, you'd fully expect the second yellow to be given to us and you you would accept that and go, you can't do that. It's obviously a yellow card. But this whole orange nature of a second yellow needs to go away. Um, So it's just a very weird concept that like you said, you don't want to tip the Apple cart and you don't want to make people mad or whatever. But you're also dishing out yellow cards like hot dinners for dissent and waving imaginary cards about. So you can you can wave an imaginary card and get the yellow for yourself but you can grab someone by the collar and give them a little shove and, and you're absolutely fine because you already have one for descent so it, it's such a weird again we're talking about poor officiating it's sort of the you know we're, i feel like we we default to this uh, to, to be honest on, on a weekly basis um, it is. but it, it is consistency isn't it
2: It winds me up it's a slight tangent but there's two things that wind me up unbelievably uh in fact, most things wind me up, but two things wind me up more than other things. Um, that the concept of it's a foul anywhere else on the pitch. I know we didn't have that yesterday, but when people go, "Oh, it's a foul anywhere else on the pitch," so then why is it not a foul in the penalty box? Like, it just makes it's just bollocks. It makes no sense. Like, get out. Uh, the second thing is, oh, that's a yellow card if he didn't already have a yellow card. Which is just similar levels of bollocks, isn't it? It's like going, "Oh, we're going to disallow that." Like they don't need another goal; they're already one 0 up. Let's let's not be leaning about this. Like it just doesn't make sense. It's absolute nonsense. Like you're there to re- you're there to make a decision based on the tackle or the incident itself. Nothing else. Everything, literally everything else in that scenario is irrelevant. The venue, the state of the game, the atmosphere, the weather. Yeah, you name some other external factor and it's irrelevant. It's whether that tackle or incident is is worthy of a yellow card. Yes or no. If the player already happens to have a yellow card, then so be it. But it's bollocks and I hate it.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I'm hoping that the last 49 minutes of conversation for those listening, if there are any of you listening that have been in a minor meltdown this weekend has helped mellow you out a little bit. Um and James in the chat has just said that you would have to back Deserby to steer us safely out of these rough waters, and I think that Tony Bloom absolutely does, and I think fans in general do. Um, and I would just advise not to get too wound up by people online with hot takes, uh, because I fall into that trap all the time when idiots say things.
2: I mean, we're not even in—we're not even in rough waters, right? No, not but at all. In, in my book, we're a long way. We're like. We are a long way away from rough waters, right? There's be- there's a little wave in the distance, if we're going to torture that analogy. Um, yeah, I mean, look, strip everything back. We've won five of our first seven. And if you go back to the beginning of the season, we talked about it. We said October is going to be a brutal run, so we need to get some points on the board early. Like, who's not... like the beginning of the season, if you're offered five wins in your first seven, we'd have all taken that, Right absolutely i think
1: anyone would have taken that right regardless
2: of. so you know and yeah we're out of the carabao cup but you know so what like of all the competitions we're involved in that's the one that can get in the bin the fastest so i'm happy with we're not happy with that but i'm not particularly fussed about it and you know to not bang on about it we're in europe so it's like i know you get a lot of people not a lot but a fair chunk of people on x or whatever twitter is these days sort of going off on one with these random hot takes it's like let's strip it back and go, we are still in a position that we've never been in before. We probably wouldn't realistically have dreamed of being in at any given point in the club's history. And we're doing it with basically a bottom six budget. I mean, it's like, we're. Be- it's like it's splitting hairs and people getting really wound up about it Um so, yeah, I'm not having it. Yeah, it's bite me odd, it? in the comments. I'm not having it.
0: <laughs> well, it's odd, isn't it? Because that uh, and it comes from the fact that Andy Naylor is posting stuff on there, and you've got Brighton fans coming to him like absolutely losing their shit, talking about Villa being on fire and Brighton being like in free fall, and like they're both in Europe. Well, like Villa's form in the last six is loss, win, loss, win, loss, win. Our form is win, win, loss, win, loss, loss. So what qualifies on fire and what qualifies as not on fire? Like, it's just but people need to just chill out.
2: Yeah. Like, and like,
0: if you're upset now, wait until we finished with Marseille, Ajax, City, Liverpool. Because
2: <laughs> you're, it's, like, it's this a is really what we weird, want to be. It's, it's a weird game to get. To, obviously, you know, the nature of the scoreline doesn't help. But Villa had won nine home games in a row, right? like it's not like we, it's not like we did that standard Albion thing that we used to do which is teams that hadn't won for ages we would rock up and roll over nicely and give them a really easy 2-0 win like we're a long way from that scenario this is a really good team who have spent a shit ton of money have a manager who is arguably you know of all the managers operating in world football he is up there in terms of achievements right like he's won the europa league what four four or five times, something like that. Um, you know, this is a this is a really top quality manager with a team that has spent a lot of money and has bought really well. Like, as much as I don't want to lose 6-1 to anyone, and, you know, they are a really good team and they will be knocking on the door of the top four this year. Um, and, you know, Ollie Watkins not really talked in that detail about it. I mean, other than Harry Kane, like, there is not a better English striker out there certainly in terms of natural finishing ability and being in the right place at the right time. You know, they've got Diaby who looked really good. They spent 50 million on him. You know, like, they are operating... They are another club who are operating in a different financial stratosphere to what we're operating in. Um, and I know that can be... It can sound like a bit of a broken record, and it can sound like the excuse for, you know, whenever we get turned over in these kind of games. But if you strip it back, what we are achieving... On a bottom six budget in Europe for the first time with a lot of players who have not played in Europe before, um, you know, with a manager who has not had to juggle that many competitions in this country at the same time, um, you know, we are still sitting pretty. And we knew, well, in, you know, in any country
0: though, like Zerbi hasn't ever managed in Europe. Like he he had one one two games in the Champions League under Shakhtar before everything went to shit. Like he said himself, like he's never really experienced the European season because the Russians ruined it for him. <laughs> so like he's he's never really had that experience. He's been really clear from the start that like this is going to be a learning curve for him too. Um, it doesn't help that he's now in. The Premier League as well. It's not like he's rolling over the Ukrainian division at the same time. Like It's a little bit of a different kettle of fish. Um, Watkins, uh, unbelievable. Like Such yeah. a good striker. He's been good for years. I, I absolutely hate saying I told you so to all those absolute dickheads online saying that Watkins was crap when I said I wish we'd signed him because he hasn't been crap since they signed him. And he's just getting better. And like you say, like outside of Harry Kane, like he's the next guy up in an England squad that is South Gateless, frankly, because with him, I don't care. But like to me, like Watkins is just unbelievably talented. And he always scores against us as well. The
2: absolute like key. four, like, I can't help four like four Premier League games in a row or something. It's basically him and Harry Kane who always seem to score against us.
1: Um They've got, they've got such a good team, haven't they? I like, have. it, and I think it's... You, you've got Ollie Watkins, but I've, I'll talk to their midfield again. It's a for gushing over Villa. Christ alive. But just it, in the physical element of that midfield three with, with McGinn and Douglas-Louise, like, it, it, it's a very good pairing there. And they're both very... <laughs> they, they both just run for days and are able to, to do that press on us. Uh, and... Half of it was us not getting going. We had a good 14 minutes. Apart from that, we were a shambles. Um, but also, I thought their press was as good as you're going to see against us for for a while. Uh, and I, I thought their midfield sort of overran us. It wasn't going to be hard with Henshaw with and Gilmore. But um, you have to beat what's put in front of you. And they did it very well. So, um, like you said, very good team. An out-and-out striker that scores a bunch of goals. Um, always scores against us. They're a, a bogey team of ours, big time. I think I, I look back and we've beaten them once in the last God knows how many years. So um, beaten,
2: That was it. That's once. We beat yeah. them in that COVID season. And the last time we beat them away from home was a neutral ground in the Chariot Shield in 1910. There you go. So, like, so we have literally, we them. have won. We've never won at Villa Park when there's been a crowd, like, for a start. So, so you, you want to you talk do... about bogey teams, it's like... yeah. I'm so over it. Like I'm just—I know it's a six-on-win, and we shouldn't just gloss over it. But like, I am so over it. I barely think about it. Let's just move on. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk
0: about a little bit about the game uh, against Marseille because obviously we we aren't following Marseille particularly well. Uh, they are sat tenth in the top division in France, of course. Played seven, one, two, drawn three, lost two. Uh, everybody is very, very well aware of what's going on uh, behind the scenes or rather not even behind now because they're just mental. Uh, We've had Gattuso just come in as their new manager. Uh, Inevitably, there will be the worry of a new manager bounce coming in there. Um, Marseille, however, do have some players that we will all recognise more so um, than the Athens side. Uh, Ismailia Saar from Watford, is is a player that is making a fair amount of starts for Marseille. Uh, we've got Mbemba of Newcastle fame back in the day playing for Marseille. Uh, we've obviously got Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, in the side as well. Um, so we have we have Renan Lodi, who caused us problems at Forest Lake last year. Uh, we've got Vitinha. We've got Jonathan Klaus, who's a good player. We've got Kondogbia. Uh, we've got plenty of players uh, who are not bad at all, Um, and obviously we've also got Guendouzi, everyone's favourite central defensive midfielder uh, from Arsenal. Um, This is not going to be an easy fixture, right? Like This is going to be going into the heartland of an incredibly hostile European footballing environment um you know i think it was james in the chat wishing you well robin in all <laughs> seriousness with with what you're about to be walking into my sister's also going which is something i feel fabulous about because she's an absolute idiot but how how are we feeling against marseille because this is a group that's on the brink right like we are we are very much still in with a chance here um at only one game but if we lose in marseille uh, we have a little bit of a rougher time of things, don't we? Um, because we're then quite a fair few points behind. Um, and, you know, Marseille and Ajax are both sitting on one point. What, you know, are you are you hoping for a win? Do you think we can? Like, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this this game in, in
2: Europe on Thursday? Yeah, I mean, we're good enough to win. Like, we're, we qualified for the competition on merit. You know, we've added some good quality. Um, they are obviously struggling. I don't think they've won since August. Um, which you know, going back to that, what we said a minute ago is we tend to, when teams haven't won for ages, we tend to be the the, the obliging team to rock up and just hand them a win. Um, in all seriousness, I have I have zero idea what to expect in terms of the game because you know we've never played a European away game for a start, so we we have we have no frame of reference to base this on whatsoever. Um, you know, it's. There was a time, probably not under Deserbe, probably under Potter, where you know we weren't so good when we rocked up to away grounds with quite intense atmospheres um but you know under deserbe we've you know we went to Arsenal where they you know really needed to win to pretty much stay in the title race, and we've you know we swept them aside pretty easily we've won twice at Man United, which again you know whilst not being an unbelievably kind of fervent atmosphere is not you know traditionally not an easy place to go. Again, we've won you know, we won at all these big grounds. We've won at Chelsea. We you know we played really well at Liverpool. Um, you know, so we we don't we've got a better record going into these quote hostile environments. So I don't know. I think it's one of those games where I know we've talked about our style is basically made for being a goal in front. Like this is a game where the first goal is really, 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 really crucial. Like if we get a relatively early goal to go in front then you can see you could see us not being comfortable but you could see us being in a much better position so i I don't know what to expect i genuinely don't know but to be honest you know i still have to pinch myself and go we are going to go and watch the albion play away from home in a european competition against a legitimate european powerhouse like from that point of view nothing you know it's it's a pretty good base to go from, right? You know, we're we're doing something that we've never done before and we probably didn't think we ever would. Like, if we get rolled over 3 nil, am I gonna be annoyed? Probably a little bit, but you know, I've traveled <laughs> all the way up to Carlisle to watch this when I live down south. You know, I've traveled all the way up to Carlisle to watch us get battered 3 0 So, you know, it's nothing new, it'll just be in a slightly bigger and warmer place. Yeah, their
0: start in eleven yesterday uh against Monaco, like you say, they lost they lost 3-2. Um, they played four-three-three. I'm gonna murder some pronunciations here, so uh apologies. But we have Paulo Lopez in goal. Uh we have Mario on the left, and Bemba and Gigo in the middle, uh and Klaus on the right. Um, and then they in their midfield three, they had Veritu, Rangier, and I uh, U- Unoe? I don't know. Uh, and then they had Undai, as you say, who went off her, who had a blinder of a game before going off her. Or Bamiang up top uh, and Correa as well on the left hand side. There's definitely some recognizable names there. Uh, they dominated possession for the most part um, and were arguably the better side. Um, Craig, thoughts on this one? Obviously, as Robin said, of course we can win. We can win every game in this competition all the way to the final, like we're there for a reason, right? Like we are beating the best teams in the world in our own division. We can do it. But what are your, what are your thoughts on this one uh, prior to the, to the big game?
1: I I think Robin's right. The first goal is integral. And I think the, the team that scores first probably wins the game. Right. Uh, But I'm worried about being starstruck again uh, and just playing in this competition. Um, it's intimidating for fans to go to Marseille. Uh, I can only imagine what it's going to be like for the squad and, and them rocking up and trying to play. Um, so yeah, I, am worried about, it sounds horrible to say for the Zerbi team, but just the mentality and being able to, to be mentally strong and go there and, and control the game. Um, if we're able to do that, if we're able to dominate the ball, um, get the fans a little bit restless, get them on the back. And they're a, they're a volatile team at the best of times. So um, being able to use that to our advantage by just choking them and, and taking the ball uh, and just keeping it uh, is probably our best chance. And and luckily, we're actually quite good at that. So it it, it kind of plays quite well if you want to be positive. Um the other half of my brain is going, you go one nil down and uh, you you probably don't have a chance. So uh, it could go either way. We're going to see changes. We're going to see us playing on a Thursday night again. Um, It's going to be pretty damn magic, um, I'm sure. But yeah, it it could go either way. I'm expecting us to just go there, grab possession, uh, make it really frustrating for them um, and lure them into the trap.
2: I think it comes back to what we hoped, which, well, you know, after the Athens game, we thought, um, you know, Would would the style of Marseille and Ajax... I know you're going to talk about this comment in a second. Would the style of Marseille and Ajax suit us better in terms of a team that's going to be more on the front foot, is going to want to try and dominate possession? It's basically going to try and match us, right? Rather than playing the classic kind of counter-attacking style. I don't know a huge amount about Marseille's style of play. Um, Obviously, Gattuso is very new into the job, so potentially... They don't know what their new style of play necessarily is going to be like. But you can't imagine them at home in a European game wanting to sit back and be on the counter-attack. Like, it naturally follows. Like, you think the, how their fans are and the whole atmosphere around the place. You'd imagine that the expectation level is that they go out and try and impose themselves on the opposition. And that has the potential, if they get it slightly wrong, that has the potential to suit us. Better than it does did against Athens, so I think there's a few positive points to to take. But yeah, it's a crucial team selection. Like this is one where like we do not want any of Deserby's slightly left field selections. Right? We want a solid, solid selection. We want the spine of the team to be very strong. I know that was the worry against Chelsea was that you know we were you know you were kind of missing a spine throughout. Um, Ferguson's form is a bit of a worry. I know that he's been ill. Um, and he hasn't really looked on it for the, the last couple of games where he's what he's had 45 minutes in each game, basically, hasn't he? I think, yeah. um, it's the kind of game where we need him to be like he was against Newcastle, which is that, you know, basically taking every chance that pops up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm optimistic. I'll always be optimistic. Um, going into a game we've definitely got the ability to do it um but yeah i'm just um the logistics of getting there and actually getting into the ground and all sorts of beginning to beginning to bother me um slightly thankfully this is very boring for everybody else other than me but i'm still going to go with it um the originally when the club um announced all the details they said that you had to collect your ticket by the cutoff point was going to be three hours before kickoff so that would be three forty-five local time. I was only—I'm only getting into Marseille at like one forty-five, so I was massively stressing about getting from the airport into the ground, you know, into get the ticket collection. But they've moved that until an hour, an hour and a half before kickoff now, so a bit more chilled about that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I was talking to a Spurs a friend of mine, is a Spurs fan, who went to watch them. When they uh, when they had Marseille, I think either last year or the year before they had them in the in the group stage of the Champions League. Um, and yeah, his advice was when you fly into Marseille, he's like, don't get don't get public transport from the airport into the city centre, especially on a match day, uh, because they have spotters on all the trains looking for away fans. Is what I was told. So yeah, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. So my plan is to very much get a taxi or an Uber from the airport. Um to collect my ticket, originally, I thought it was a good idea to book to book a hotel right next to the stadium, but um that has transpired to not necessarily be the most ideal situation because in theory you go yeah, that's brilliant you know it's right by the right by the stadium, it's fine, but the only way like the entrance to the away end is underground, hence why they bus you in. so it's not going to be super easy to get from there to the hotel so I think I'm gonna to have to go back into the center of Marseille to then get a taxi back out to the ground but anyway that's very boring for everybody other than me um but yeah it's gonna be good I mean I'm looking forward to it it'll be an interesting and interesting challenge And you know we've still sold you know I know we didn't quite set out but you know we're taking three thousand plus to Marseille which is a it's a good effort well, I think that's I, – I. to me, I don't find
0: that boring at all. Like, I don't know about you, Craig, but, like, there are 3,000 of you going. There are 300,000 that want to go, right, like that yeah. would on other circumstances go. So, like, for those listening, like, whether you're in the States, Japan, China, Malaysia, wherever you're listening from, like, the amount of map that's up these days that listen to this show is just insane, like – everybody wants to hear these things i think because like they they're not going to be able to live that experience right like and there's an awful lot that wish they could go to amsterdam in a couple of weeks and they're not going to be able to oh leave, don't right like can so we move
2: on to that quickly like, i am <laughs> yeah in... let's touch
0: on that let's touch on that at the end here uh, yeah. as our last thing so I'm for those traveling podcasts, to marseille anyway.
2: i'm I'm absolutely not i might like i'm certainly not doing one until i'm in the ground like i might take a video or something in the ground but um i'm not going to be wandering around somewhere in marseille talking very obvious english um unless i can master (laughs) unless i can master french in the next 96 hours whatever it is um no i'm I'm not i'm not going to do that um travel into marseille be safe
0: Um, obviously follow all instructions given you'll be fine um oh yeah yeah, yeah. as long as you follow what you're told there will be idiots who think they don't have to follow it and frankly god be with them like i don't care like if that's what you want to do do it um iax away and athens away which will be shortly going up on sale at the end of this month um which may be a similar bin fest but iax is set to be the biggest one so they have the three bands, right? And it was never going to get past season ticket holders regardless. And clearly it's not going to even get to my level of season ticket holder either, the peasant season ticket holder. Um, so, so we've had, I believe, as of last count, there's about 350 tickets left um, for IACs away. Uh, and we are just about opening the second band at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. Robin, you are in that second band by just about. Uh, how and obviously you wanted you wanting to go. So how how are you feeling about tomorrow? Uh, you've you've been through this already. You've got Taylor Swift tickets uh, for the Eras Tour. We know how difficult that can be. Uh, I am going to genuinely say this is going to be harder. Uh, oh so yeah, yeah, 100%. You, I mean you're going to have another three four thousand people trying to get three hundred tickets.
2: Yeah, what, yeah. What's, yeah. Your, I mean, what's your prep look like? What
0: is your what's your well, research
2: look like? How are you my, feeling? My first, um, <laughs> my first point is that the cutoff was two sixty-five to guarantee a ticket, and I have two sixty. So I've been irritated. So I'm coming from a place of irritation straight away. Um, you know, like you say, whichever way they did it, it was never going to be. You know, it's never going to please everybody. Um, in terms of my prep, um, I think I've done more. I think I've thought about this from more angles and done more planning than I did for my own wedding. I think it's fair to say. Um, I have really like, there are, I'm trying to buy tickets for a couple other people that sort of in the group as well. Um, so there are going to be three of us trying to try and buy tickets. We've enlisted the help of uh, a fourth. So Josh Wed- Wedgie is going to help us try and get some tickets. So we've got all sorts of scenarios going on. There used to be, and this is going to piss people off if it works. And I'm, i'm just not going to apologize if it works i'm absolutely taking it um but it's controversial there was a school of thought at some point when you had these games where there were different tiers that you could get somebody in tier one to log in before nine o'clock and basically put three tickets in their basket wait until it hits nine o'clock and then allocate them to your tier two friends right which is very controversial. If you're in that scenario and it benefits you, absolutely dreamy, not apologizing whatsoever. But I think the club became quite wise to that and there's now I believe they kind of either stop people adding tickets in the 15 minutes before the window goes on sale or they like flush the ticketing system. Either way. So, one of us is going to try wedge is going to try that just in case it it slips through. But other than that, you know, it is a it's just a it's a straight bun fight. I mean, it really depends you, when you hit nine o'clock you just get allocated a random position in the queue. So it's that allocate it's basically that that is going to be the crucial bit. if you get allocated a position in the queue in the first couple of hundred, then you're in. If you don't you're not. So I mean it's you can do all the preparation you want, but it comes down to that um, you know to that and you know in terms of if you manage to get in, um, it's my advice to anyone. I don't know why I'm doing this because you know we're all competing against each other but in the spirit of friendliness my advice to everyone would be if you do get through don't faff around trying to choose individual seats just click just go for best available just click best available and just see what you get by the time you try and faff around with a seat map to try and select something you're you're done so in the spirit of total openness and fairness that would be my my uh, my advice would be to go for best available um but, yeah, it's, um, you know, I've been pacing the room like some sort of, you know, Lunar Tunes character since uh, since Friday evening. We'll just see where we get to.
0: Well, I wish you luck. Everybody who's going to be trying tomorrow morning, I wish you luck. It's, I'm glad I don't have to do this shit again. I was stressed enough with stupid Taylor Swift concert tickets that alone, like, actually going to watch the Arbion and Ajax, I would just have a meltdown. So, good luck Everybody who's going to try tomorrow morning, genuinely, I really hope that you get them. Obviously, not all
2: of you will. Because <laughs> it's. Clear. I mean, on a serious note, the thing we don't know is um, we don't know how many people are actually in Tier 2. Right. I've seen various theories. Like, I've, a- I've seen a lot of people say it's going to be in the thousands because of, you know, just sort of pure maths. But actually, what you've got to layer on top of that is the number of people that pre-registered that's an unknown we don't know um i the lowest the lowest that i heard it was given um there was essentially someone who forgot to pre-register right which was a bit of a which a bit of a nightmare um and spoke to the ticket office to try and get themselves in to you know no avail, obviously, because you know, process process. And the figure that they were given was something Well, else. not always. Not always. Because my sister got tickets to
0: Marseille despite not being pre registered. Yeah, but that was, that them was, them was they in because of, yeah, exactly. So it depends. Um, depends they'll it they'll allow down. process for cash.
2: <laughs> I was um yeah, I was told the lowest it could be was the and it might be garbled that I was told that potentially there's three thousand across the first two tiers only. And if that's correct then there's then you're potentially looking at 1000 people for 350 tickets. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario it's you know several thousand going for 350 tickets. So I don't, I don't know, you know envy. I in don't with envy a chance any of you in, in with a chance is um, got to be in it to win it. it. But you know it's one of those things that go I still fall back to you know if I don't get tickets I've already booked accommodation and all that so, I'll, you know I'll go anyway. Um but it's still you know we are, some of us will still be going to see the Albion play away at Ajax, which is, you know, which is mental. And we're going to fill that side of the stadium, right? Like, we're going to fill it, which is awesome. Like, and yeah, yeah. Like, like, so, uh, I mean, collectively, we are doing, you know, the royal we are doing something that, you know, we've never done before. Yep. Yeah. Hopefully, I'll be,
0: I'll be one of those doing Athens, hopefully. But we'll see. I'm going to definitely try for that one. I, th- I feel more optimistic now there's more people gone for Ajax simply because, like, the sheer volume of people. If we continue think, to be really shit in October as well, I'm well happy in a way. <laughs> like, in a really messed up way, I'll be I really happy yesterday. because then I'll definitely get Athens tickets
2: because then I was, like, if, if, if a 6-1, you know, if Villa, be, if Villa battering a 6-1 even puts 50 people off trying to buy Ajax tickets, then that's a win. <laughs> all right let's wrap Bye. boys this is just gonna be
0: like another hour of hoping and praying for him. <laughs> he's just gonna form a prayer circle um we would love for you to send us any videos and any kind of just at the end of the game like a voice note of like in the moment so you're not thinking about like you're just telling us how it was how the whole trip went you know it doesn't matter whether it's one minute or five or twenty like just go for it give us give us your thoughts on it We'd love to hear it from someone who was there in the moment and not talking about it four days after. Uh, it's it's always nice. So we'll you know if we get that, we're able to get that from yourself given the circumstances of the game. Uh, that would be great, um, and we'll share it on socials for everyone else to enjoy as well. Um, and we will be back uh, probably, maybe Thursday, definitely next weekend, regardless. Um, and again, like let's just enjoy it. Yes, it was a horrible week dicked by Villa, beaten by Chelsea in what was a bit of a piss about game anyway, really, wasn't it? Um, But it doesn't stop. We've got Marseille away and Liverpool at home next. So let's just enjoy it, get into it, and uh, we will speak again next week.
1: Love it. Thanks all.
0: Cheers.